During the month of November, we will be taking a journey through the Psalms of Thanksgiving with our sermon series, I Am Thankful For. Well, we are so glad you are here with us today. My name is Joe. I serve as one of the pastors here at Riverbend. And can we just give it up for the Hutchinson family who led us this morning? They have such a gift. We are grateful for you guys. And it's such a, a, a blessing to us individually but collectively. And really, it's a picture of really what our community is about. It's not about one person. It's rather about us collectively coming together to lift up Jesus and hold him out to others and it's always been our heart that we would be intentional with allowing and not only allowing but providing the opportunities for people to use their gifts their passions and it's awesome to see that in in that area as well as in our teaching area and one of the heartbeats at Riverbend from the very beginning is that we would develop communicators and teachers and not just on a Sunday morning but in other areas as well and one of those gifts that God has allowed us to have is to see him bring so many incredible communicators to our church and to then watch God craft and put together this teaching team. And for some of us, we're not accustomed to that. We're used to hearing maybe one guy on the, on the regular, and, and I do a lot in the bulk of, of the teaching, but I do believe and value other people having an opportunity to use their gift for their development, but also because it is good for me <laughs> and to receive and, and to receive in that way but also for you to hear from other communicators as well and so one of those gifts that god has allowed us to do is to bring my brothers here in the valley with me and so actually today both my brothers are teaching uh, my identical twin is teaching the elementary age children in river rocks and then my older brother jesse is going to be bringing a message this morning and i'm just so grateful for the gift of Jesse, the gift of teaching team, and, and the different gifts that make up and the people that make up our community here. And we would love for you to get connected into what we're doing. So if you're new to Riverbend, would love to say hello to you. After the gathering, come over, say hello right across the way Jesse and I will be there, as well as filling out a connection card. That's one of the easiest ways for us to connect with you and then taking advantage of all the opportunities that we have here. So let's give it up for Jesse Velarde as he makes his way to the stage this morning. All right, good morning. It's a joy and honor to be with you all today. Is everybody ready? We only have about four days left till we're going to pause and celebrate this annual tradition that we like to call Thanksgiving. Literally millions of people are going to fly all over the country, in some cases around the world. People are going to work hard in the kitchen making turkey, dressings, potatoes, stuffing, all sorts of different things. Families are going to come together. Some families that don't even like each other are going to come together. And, and, and the people are going to get together, sit around the table, and we're going to stop. And we're going to celebrate this tradition that we call Thanksgiving. And in some cases, some families might go around, all right, Jesse, tell me what you're thankful for this year. Joseph, tell me what you're thankful for this year. Tell me we're going to go one by one, you know. But then the day will progress. The meal will end. A lot of people will go take a nap. Some people like me will watch some football. Folks will get focused on shopping, Christmas, and then Thanksgiving will fade into our memories. 
because we'll get refocused, we'll get focused on Christmas, we'll get focused on the busyness and the demands and the stress of our lives, and we'll forget about Thanksgiving. And a lot of people, even for people in church, will go back to lives of anger, distress, anxiety, fear, and bitterness. Because for a lot of people, we're celebrating Thanksgiving, but we don't know who we're giving thanks to. We don't know who we're giving thanks to. We're just, for a lot of folks, we're just giving thanks to whoever. We're just giving thanks to the universe. We're just giving thanks maybe to ourselves. But we don't know who we're giving thanks to. So we're just going through the motions of a holiday. We're just going through the motions of a tradition, of a ritual. But today we're going to look at how we can take Thanksgiving from a meal and a day, and a tradition, and make thanksgiving a way of living. And when we make genuine thanksgiving a way of living, we have so much more joy, so much more hope, so much more peace, and a deeper closeness and connection with our Heavenly Father. So we're going to look at that today. So to start us off, we're going to look at Psalm 95. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. Wow. Singing, shouting. These are all expressions of deeper feelings. These are all expressions of something deeper in my heart. When's the last time you shouted about something? Were you shouting about something more out of frustration or celebration? Were you shouting at somebody in traffic? Were you shouting at your spouse? Were you shouting at your kids? Was I really shouting out of joy? When's the last time you joyfully shouted? I mean, I shouted when the Braves won the World Series. But, you know, that comes and goes. And it says, come let us sing to the Lord. Yes, this means literal singing, and I know not everybody likes to sing. Not all of us can sing as beautifully as the Hutchinson family, or Christine, or my brother Joseph. But singing is an expression of the heart, but it's also we make music by the way we live our lives. We are singing singing a song by the way we treat other people. We are singing a song by the way we conduct ourselves. Our lives are making music. And who are we making music to and who are we making music for? We are shouting joyfully to the rock of our salvation. If you don't know what that word salvation means, it means you have been rescued. It means you have been delivered from imminent loss, certain loss, certain death, certain destruction. We have been delivered. We are shouting to the rock of our salvation. Imagine if you were in prison, and not only were you in prison, but you were on death row, and you know your execution date is approaching, and it's coming, it's only two weeks away, and it's getting closer, it's only a week away, and your family and friends and children aren't going to see you again, and the anxiety and the distress of your certain executions coming up. And then somebody who you didn't even know 
intervened on your behalf. But not only got a judge to stop your execution, but got you out of prison. Would you just go, oh, thanks. I'll see you later. Thanks. Let's, let's get together sometime. No, you would shout. You would shout joyfully. You would shout joyfully if you had your life rescued and been given freedom. You would shout joyfully. We are shouting to the rock of our salvation. Jesus is the rock of our salvation. It's the rock of our salvation. He has rescued me. He has rescued you. He has rescued anybody and everybody from imminent and certain loss, certain destruction, a life separated from God, an eternity without God, a life where our only hope is in ourselves, our life where our only hope is in this world, our life where our only hope is in the things that we have. What a depressing life. He is the rock of our salvation. It looks like this. This is a great picture. Jesus is the rock. When we decide to follow Jesus, we are standing on the rock of our salvation. And what I'm standing in and what I decide to make my God, and everybody has a God. Even if you don't believe in God, you have a God. Everybody has an ultimate authority. For some people, their God is themselves. For other people, their God is religion. For other people, their God is politics. For other people, it's, it's, it's relationships, money, possessions, career. Anything can be a little God. But I want to warn you and encourage you that whatever you make your God, you're putting your full hope in. You're putting your full expectations in. You're putting all your desires on. You're putting all your dreams on this one thing, this one person. And I promise you, nothing in this world can maintain the weight of those hopes and expectations and disappointments. Nothing. They're going to crumble under your, that weight. And you're going to be left picking up the pieces. Jesus said, if you follow me and put my commandments in your life, you're like a man who built his house on a rock. The storms came, the winds blew, but the rock, the house did not fall because it was built on a firm foundation of the rock. But if I'm making my hope and I'm putting my trust in a little God, politics, money, my home, whatever, it's going to crumble. Jesus said, it's, you're, like, you're, like, you're building your house on sand. The storms are going to come and it's going to blow you away. It's going to blow the house away, and you're going to be so full of regret and disappointment. Jesus is the rock of our salvation. That is why we can shout and sing joyfully. Continues. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. All the little gods that I mentioned, my relationship, my marriage, my politics, my money, whatever, he is the great God above all gods. And when people think of God's greatness, they really limit it to strength and power. Yes, God is great, and he is great in that. 
But we're going to look at some ways that God is great that will blow you away. First of all, God is great in love. God is great in love. Unconditional love. A love that is pursuing us. Self-sacrificing love. Jesus is the embodiment of God's great love for us. There's nobody who can love us and love you like Jesus does. This world, love is something to a large extent that's earned. What did you do for me? You don't love me? I'm not going to love you. You do this to me? You're not my friend. God's love is you rejected me? You rebelled against me? You turned away from me? I'm coming after you. I'm going to keep coming after you. And, and even before you knew you needed me, I laid my life down for you and endured the suffering and the shame and the penalty of the cross so that you could be part of my family. And even after you decide to follow me, if you go astray and do things wrong, which you will, I'm not going to stop loving you. There's nothing that can separate you from my love. God is great in love, and nobody even comes close. God is great in love. God is great in grace. Grace. What is grace? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's God's unmerited favor. Undeserved favor towards you and me and to everybody. Many people in our world like to say things like, well, I believe in karma. You get, get what you deserve. Get what you deserve. But grace is the opposite. You don't get what you deserve. Guess who got what I deserve? Jesus got what I deserve. God didn't give me what I deserve for my lying, for my selfishness, for my self-righteousness, for my foolishness, for all the evil things that I've done. And the list is really long. He didn't make me pay the penalty for that. He put that all on Jesus. He said, my son, I'm going to put on you what Jesse deserves. And I'm going to put on you what every person deserves. I'm going to put it on your shoulders. And you're going to carry it on that cross. Because I want all of these people to be my sons and daughters, no matter who they are or what they've done. God is great in love. God is great in grace. God is great in mercy. What's mercy? Mercy is withholding judgment, withholding punishment, withholding making somebody pay the penalty. I'm going to show you mercy. We live in a day and age where there is no mercy. I say the wrong thing, I do the wrong thing, I want you to pay, and I want you to pay severely. <laughs> I'll even go look back in your history. Did you say something bad in 2006? You must pay, 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 pay. You express on social media, hey, I like tomatoes. You like tomatoes? You can't like tomatoes. Don't you know what those tomatoes go through, or don't you... That's so un-American. It's like, we, 
I, I cannot remember more merciless time in my life where you can't say anything, disagree about anything. It's no mercy. It's because we're not filled with the same love that God is, and we're not filled with the same grace that God is. But God is rich in mercy. He's slow to anger, rich in love. He held back the judgment and put it all on Jesus. He's great in mercy. He's shown me his love. He's shown me his grace. He's showing us his mercy. But God is great in his care for us, in his care for you and your needs and whatever is on your heart and whatever you're dealing with, your job, your finances, your marriage, your children. He is great in his care for us. He loves us as a father loves his own children and wants to know us that way. God is great in love. God is great in grace. God is great in mercy. God is great in his care for us. So what do we do in response to that? In response, before we think about the response, we continue to think about how great he is. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land too. His hands formed me, and his hands formed you. This is another way that God shows his greatness. The depths of the earth, the mightiest mountain, as Dan was saying earlier, the beautiful trees, the dry land. Why did he make all this? He made it all for you. He made it all for me. All of creation is designed with one purpose in mind, to sustain human life. Every day is an amazing miracle. So much has to go exactly right that we don't even think about it. So much has to go right with your body every day just to exist. If the earth is a little bit closer to the sun, we're all toast and ashes. If it's a little bit further away, we're frozen like popsicles. His hands formed the dry land too. And he holds the universe and he holds the world in his hands. And so if God is holding the whole world in his hands, why would I keep my little bitty world in my hands? My world's pretty small. But for many of us, we have this illusion of control that somehow that brings power. We say, God, I know you're full of grace, and I know you're full of love, and I know you're full of mercy, and I know you're great in your care for me, but I'm holding on to my money, and I'm holding on to my habits, and I'm holding on to my time, and I'm holding on to my politics and my relationships, and I'm not going to let you have it because I'm in control, and I don't want anybody stealing my freedom. But I'm putting myself in total slavery. I'm putting myself in bondage, and I'm trying to carry all of these things by myself. I can't do that. But God is holding the whole world in his hands. I can just let it go. 
Give it to him. Give it to him. And watch him work in my life. Jesus' disciples wrote to each other. They're facing imprisonment. They're being in prison, facing execution, total persecution, all sorts of stuff. And what they say to each other, cast all your cares on him, all of them, because he cares for you. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. So why would I keep my little bitty world of Jesse Velarde in my hands when the God who holds the universe, who is great in grace, mercy, love, wants to help me? God is great in love. God is great in grace. God is great in mercy. And God is great in his care for us. And those hands that hold the whole universe, have you ever thought about what do those hands look like? This is what those hands look like. This is the hands of God and what they look like. The hands that held and nailed Jesus to the cross for six long, excruciating hours with all the weight of each of our sin, rebellion, rejection on Him, holding nails through His hands, His arms spread wide, wide open to receive us. All come in. All come in and be part of the loving, living family of God. So what should be my response? Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Friends, folks, friends, worship and surrender go hand in hand. But this is, I'm not worshiping out of obligation. I'm not surrendering out of obligation. This is all out of response. I'm seeing God is great in love, a love like I've never seen or will ever see before. I'm I'm blown away by God's grace. Nobody can or has shown me that type of grace. Oh. I'm responding to God's mercy. Nobody is showing me that mercy. I'm responding to God's care for me that I've seen throughout my life. I'm weighed down by such an amazing love. I'm bowing down out of response. I'm overwhelmed by that kind of love. It's not a love that says, bow down. It's a love that is giving to me freely. And I'm bowing down because I'm just overwhelmed to be shown that type of amazing love. And now, it's not worshiping and surrendering is not something I have to do. It's something I want to do. It's changing me. It's transforming my heart. For many people, especially in Western societies, this idea of surrendering really keeps us from knowing God and how much he loves us. Because we're like, I don't want somebody telling me what to do. I'm my own man. I know what to do. I know what's best. But but God is wanting us to surrender so we can experience the fullness of his love, and he wants to give us greater things. But we limit, a lot of people limit worship to a few minutes on a Sunday. I'll sing a few songs to God, and then go about my way, and I'll be the Lord of my life. 
I, I like things better that way. And I'll say, and I'll try to call myself a Jesus follower that way. But worship without surrender is nothing more than words from an empty pretender. I'm just going through the motions. I'm just going through the motions. I have an amazing wife, Andrea. Imagine once a week, I said, Andrea, you're so beautiful. You make me feel so loved. You do so much for me. You serve me and our children so well. And just went on and on. What would I do without you? You're so great. But then after about 20 minutes, I ignored her the rest of the day. Didn't help with anything she needed. Days go by, I'm not even talking to her, acknowledging her. Heck, I'm even looking at other women. You know. And then the next week comes by. Oh, honey, I just love you. I want to know. I want you to know how much you mean to me. You mean the world to me. For 20 minutes a day, you mean the world to me. But a lot of us, when we don't surrender, we're just saying, God, I love you for 20 minutes, but, but, but then I'm going about my own life. I don't really want to worship you. I don't really want to know you. And I'm the one that's missing out. When we are worshiping and singing, in, which is one manifestation of worship, we are magnifying God. We are magnifying who he is. We're making larger his grace, his love, his mercy, and it gives us such a greater sense of joy, greater sense of peace. It doesn't make all our problems go away, but it reminds us he's with us, he loves us, and he's greater than whatever we're facing. And he wants to bring us closer through this. But Jesus gives us an even clearer definition of what he calls worship. He says the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. In those days, there were a lot of self-righteous religious leaders, and they would do a lot of religious things. But their hearts were not really about following God. Their hearts were about, let's elevate ourselves. Let's elevate our kingdom. Let's elevate our profile. Let's elevate our power. And he's saying, the true worshipers are worshiping by what they say and what they do. The true worshipers are worshiping with their songs and by the way they love and serve their families, by the way they bless their communities, by the way they work at their jobs. These are their true worshipers. They're following me. Worshiping is following after Jesus. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. You will obey my commandments that I'm the only way. You will obey my commandments that you need to forgive others. You will obey my commandments to, to pray for people that are your enemies. You will obey my commandments to serve each other. You will obey my commandments if you really love me. This world and our community one reason many people are not following Jesus is because here's what they see. They see a lot of people like me calling ourselves Jesus followers and say, yes, I follow Jesus on Sunday for 20 minutes a day. 
20 minutes, but then the rest of the week, I'm the Lord of my life. I worship myself. I worship my ideology. I worship my platform. I worship my appetite. I worship myself. And they say, there's nothing different here. You're just like everybody else. Why would I want to be a part of that? There's nothing real. And what's so awesome is when when we begin to trust God and worship him in spirit and in truth, it deepens our intimacy and connection with our loving Father. We really get to see up close his goodness, his love, his mercy. We really get to know him. We really get to know him. Some of you, like myself, have had pretty difficult experiences and painful past with your father. So to know a father that is loving like that is a a difficult idea to grasp. And many people don't think of God as a loving father who wants to be intimate and wants to be close and wants to be connected to us and is pursuing us and cares about our needs and our burdens and is really for us and, and with us and in us. True worship, we get to know him more and it changes us. And it helps us walk victoriously through our difficulties and our circumstances. Psalm 95 continues. For he is our God. We are the people he watches over. The flock under his care. Like I said earlier, many people think of God as strong and mighty ready to throw the book at you the first time you make a mistake or any time you make a mistake. Most people don't think of God this way. The one who is watching over the flock that's under his care. He wants us to put our lives under his care. He's eager to care for you and eager to care for the pain of your past. He's eager to care for whatever you're feeling overwhelmed by in this moment. And I'm dealing with some difficult things myself. But he cares for me, and he cares for you no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter where you're at. Jesus said, Jesus is the great shepherd. He's the great shepherd. And what he says is, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Again, this, this idea of being led is really scary for people. What people don't know and don't, don't realize and won't acknowledge is you are being led. You're either being led by yourself, your appetites, your limited wisdom. You're being led by this culture. You're being led by this world. But Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. And in this day and age, I would say it's, it's pretty challenging sometimes to listen to the voice of Jesus because everybody has a platform. Everybody has a, has a microphone 
We have so many diversions, millions, tons of entertainment options. YouTube itself has at least 37 million different channels. And you throw in Facebook and Twitter and TikTok, Instagram, Pinterest, and, and I know I'm not even listing them all. Sometimes the voice we're more eager to hear is this voice. And we are more excited to hear from this voice. And I've been guilty of this myself. Than to really listen to the voice of God. And this voice is trying to lead me to, 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 to green pastures, to still waters. Jesus said, I've come so you would have life and have it to the full. He's trying to lead us to this best life that we're trying to pursue on our own selves. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. There's that intimacy again. And no one can snatch them from the Father's hand. In another passage, Jesus said, I lay down my life for the sheep. And he said, I also leave the 99 to find the one. The struggling addict the adulterer, the person that's, 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 that's just living lives of deception and feels like they could, there's no way they could ever come back to God. Jesus said, I'm leaving them and I'm coming after Jesse. I'm coming after Bill. I'm coming after Samantha. I'm coming after Timothy. I'm coming after wherever you are. And when I find that one sheep who was scared and afraid to come to me, and they give their life to me, celebrate and rejoice. Look, I found Chris. I found Stuart. I found Ashley. I found them. I found them. I'm overjoyed that I found you. I'm so excited to have found you. Genuine worship. And, oh, and then in Psalm 95, he also says, if only you would listen to his voice today. It says, if only you would listen to his voice today. To God's voice today. Genuine worship and affection begin focused attention. Can I be close to anybody? Could you be close to your spouse if all I did was talk? And all you did was talk? And I never heard from my wife? Could you have any close relationship with anybody that way? Real worship and affection to God starts with need to have focused attention. And this is something that I had a hard time with and still growing in. Turning off the TV. Turn the music away. Turn the music off. Let's put the phone away. God just going to be quiet. And I'm just going to enjoy being together. And in that moment, those what I have found as I've done that, so refreshing. Enjoying God's presence. Receiving God's affection. Receiving God's direction. And then oftentimes, receiving God's correction. All of these things are rooted in his love for me. But I've got to be willing to stop, listen, just be quiet. God, I love you so much. I'm overwhelmed by your grace, your love, and your mercy, and your care for me. 
I want to hear what you have to say. What you have to say is more important than anybody else and anything else. What is God saying today? What God is saying today is I love you more than anybody else. What God is saying today is there's nothing you can do to separate yourself from my love. What God is saying today is find your whole identity in me and in Jesus. What God is saying today is I've forgiven and paid the penalty for your past. What God is saying today, my arms are open. What God is saying today is receive my embrace. What God is saying today is come be a part of my family. What God is saying today is breaking my heart to see you trying to find hope and lasting fulfillment in the lesser gods and lesser things of this world. You're my son and daughter, and I'm pursuing you. I just want to hold you and embrace you. That's what God is saying today. But I've got to take the time to slow down and listen. Can't be like the Israelites. What he says is, don't be like the Israelites at Meribah. Don't harden your hearts as they did at Massa in the wilderness. For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw everything I did. To give you some, some context, the Israelites had been in slavery for, for decades in Egypt. God set them free from Egyptian slavery, led them through the Red Sea, part of the Red Sea, led them through the wilderness, took care of all their needs for years and years and years and years. He's building up their trust in him, but they got a little frustrated. They got a lot of anxious. They got a little anxious. They're like, when are we going to see the promised land? We want to see the promised land. We want to be there now. We want to know a date, time. They got a little bit frustrated because they had to trust God and they had to depend on God. And finally, they told Moses, Moses, it would have been better for us just to have been state slaves in Egypt than to come out here to the wilderness and die. We'd rather go back to slavery. And for many people, even people in church, they say, I'd rather live in slavery and tell myself I'm living in, I've got control than to really trust God and really depend on him day by day and walk with him. This illusion of control leads me into slavery. He says, for 40 years I was angry with them. And I said, they are a people whose hearts turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. That's, people would never refuse to do what God tells them today. What he's telling us, I tell, he tells us out of love. Just like I tell my boys, Joel, don't touch the stove, it's hot. I'm not telling you that because I, I don't want you to have fun. Because you're not going to like it. Or... You know, why don't you, why don't you do something nice for a friend? I did something nice and it blessed their heart. Oh, I told you that so that you would get a greater joy from that. God is telling us these things because he loves us. It's not trying to own us. It's trying to love us. He says, so in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. And I, when I refuse to really trust God and worship him in spirit and in truth, I'm never going to experience his rest. And this world, our society, our culture is exhausted, is overwhelmed, is discouraged, is defeated. People are looking just for some rest. 
Jesus said, I've got the rest. Here's the rest you're looking for. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy burdened, carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Is anybody carrying any heavy burdens today? I think we all, I think some of us, many of us are today. And Jesus has come to me. Let me give you rest. We are, so many people are looking to try to find some relief and comfort in the lesser gods of this world. And the more you look, the more you're going to be looking. You'll never find that rest. You'll be exhausted. And the rest you were looking for was right there in the open arms of Jesus Christ. So what would happen if the Lehigh Valley saw each of us truly worshiping God with our whole lives? Truly responding to the love, grace, mercy of God. Truly being transformed. Following Jesus with our whole hearts. Worshiping Him. Living lives of thanksgiving in our families. Living lives of praise by the way we love and serve our neighbors. Living lives of worship by the way we do our jobs. Living lives of worship by the way that we post and share things on social media. Living a life of worship. Living a life of thanksgiving. What would happen? What do you think would happen? Well, here's what happened for Jesus' first church. They weren't complaining about how anti-Christian the Roman Empire was. They weren't complaining about how terrible the, the Jewish religious leaders were. They weren't complaining that they were being thrown in jail. They weren't complaining that they were being executed. They had seen Jesus risen from the dead and now can know God as their loving Father. They're like, oh my goodness, nothing comes even close. So they said, let's meet in people's houses. And they began meeting in people's houses, singing songs of praise to God, shouting to God, shouting to the rock of their salvation, of our salvation. And that song didn't just stop on a Sunday morning. It went into their neighborhoods. It went into their communities. And they began serving and loving their enemies. They began praying for nations. They began following the Jesus message. And the music of Jesus began going out all over the Roman Empire. And people were coming from all backgrounds and all walks of life. And said, this is something I need. This is something I want. This is something I've got to have. It kept coming from all over the world. They haven't stopped coming since. And the, what's all so awesome is God wants to do the same thing here in the Lehigh Valley. So, today and in the coming days, this whole day is a day of worship. This whole day is a day of thanksgiving. Every day, we can live lives of thanksgiving and praise. Imagine what God will do. Let's pray. Father, we overwhelmed that you are great in love, great in grace, great in mercy, and great in your care for us. Help us to know you more, to trust you more, to take the time to be quiet with you, God.
to give you our cares, to give you our burdens. Use our lives to lift up the song of praise that people from all over this community will respond to because we know how much you love the Lehigh Valley. In Jesus' name.